Okay, we are recording. So thank you, Dr. Rao, so much for being with us today. Uh, we have a few questions we'd like to ask about your background in immunology. We'll start with your career. So how did you first get involved in immunology? I started in immunology as a PhD student at Yale. I was doing, uh, I was in the MD-PhD program and uh, I decided to do a PhD in immunology because I thought it was a particularly dynamic field. It's a relatively young field. There's a lot. Of, uh, and for people that are interested in medicine, it's a field that's, that's universally applicable. So there's no field of medicine where immunology isn't relevant. Uh, and for MD, PhD students who don't, don't quite know what kind of doctor they want to bring a, a dedicated study in immunology is going to be useful regardless of whether you become a cardiologist or a rheumatologist or a surgeon or, um, in, in really any medical field. Tell us about the research that you're most proud of in your career to date. So I've been um, particularly ex excited and satisfied by the research that we've been doing in the past few years, really trying to look in detail at the immune responses that are going on in our patients who we see in clinic. So I'm a rheumatologist. I see patients with autoimmune diseases. And um, I've been frustrated with the idea that there are um, all of these patients that have a disease that's driven by an inappropriate activation of the immune system. And yet we have very few tools to try and measure the active immune response that's going on in these patients that we see in clinic every day. So we've uh, really been trying hard over the past few years to be able to collect samples from patients that we see in clinic and look at the immune response in detail using increasingly sophisticated techniques, um, high-dimensional flow cytometry, mass cytometry, RNA sequencing, now increasingly single-cell RNA sequencing, to define the cell types that, that are activated, the pathways that are activated, and, 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 and then bring that back at the patient level to understand in this patient that we see today, in that patient that we saw yesterday, what pathways are most activated, and then how can we use that to, to decide how to better treat uh, individual patients? What do you think is the most important trait that a researcher should possess and why? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I have two. And one is, um, one is a, a clear line, uh, the ability to think clearly along um, uh, logical paths. So, so much of what we do is absorbing what others are, are, are observing, reading what's in the literature, and then trying to, to make reasonable connections, to connect the dots, to, to put pieces together. So being able to pull out um, key insights from different, uh, different talks, different papers, and then put them together uh, to, to, to come up with reasonable hypotheses is a survival skill. For, for researchers, um, this one's important. The other one, I think, is um, a flexibility in your thinking. So there are so many experiments that we do that we really care about. We're really hoping for one result, and you get the opposite, or you get a negative result. 
and um, it's important to be able to be to be flexible to realize that there may be some value in this negative result. It may make the next positive result more meaningful or more specific or more interesting. Um, so, so I try I try to maintain that flexibility and and share that with the trainees as they're disappointed about the you know the twists and turns of how experiments are going. Great. Along those lines, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned looking back? Um, I think that the, the 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 lesson I've learned I have I, I don't I don't think I've had that much time to look back just yet. At least that's over the way that I see it. But um, one of the I think an important lesson that I've learned is that. Uh, if you're doing experiments that are important, if you're doing work that's important, um, other folks in the field and in other fields are going to try and replicate it. And so if you're reporting work, um, you should be doing it in a way where you're confident that others who pick it up and think it's interesting will be able to get the same results and find the same, uh, reproduce the same observations. And so in the experiments that, that we do, uh, I'm, I'm oftentimes sharing this perspective that, you know, if somebody else in another lab down the hall or in another building, uh, another institution is going to do the same experiment, would they get the same result? And if not, why? What are the weaknesses in this and how do we make it more robust? What advice would you give to young researchers just starting out in the field? I think that there's um, always a worry about picking the topic. What, what topic do you think is uh, is most interesting or most exciting? But really, you know, uh, if we're being fair, there's so many interesting things to work on in immunology that um, there there isn't there isn't a right decision on that one. There's 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 too many interesting things going on. So um, I think that the um, two things that, that that looking back I think have worked well for me. One was was picking an environment, and in particular, a mentor, um, who uh, an environment that really fosters fosters your growth, and where you feel like it's a um, a comfortable and rich sort of learning opportunity. Um, that's one, and and the other is the the chance to get involved with some new technologies, with sort of emerging technologies. Um, ones that you think are, are sort of exciting that you can point towards an interesting question. Um, the, those those uh, opportunities don't always come along. They don't come along every time that you need them. But um, the chance to sort of pick up a new technology and play with it uh, is one that one uh, uh, try to take advantage of uh, early in your training. Okay. Can you describe your your average workday? What it's like for you? especially now during these times? Yeah, so the, it's migrated, of course, over the past past year, like it has for everybody, I'm sure. Um, but um, I have uh, two two daughters who are now 11 and 7, and they're they, for the past year, they've basically been in virtual school almost the whole year. Um, so we've adjusted our schedules to, to try and get up early in the morning and work for, work for an hour or two before... Um, before the family gets up, um, then uh, I do most of my work from home now. I've, 
I have an office, uh, you know, in the lab that I've that I've given over to the postdocs to use um, as their space when they're in the lab. So I try and stay out of the way, work from home. Um, I have, uh, of course, Zoom meetings and and um, phone calls for for much of the day. Um, but I try and get into the lab uh, um, just about every day to more or less to wander around and chat with people. Um, so when I'm in the lab, I think folks know that I'm I'm there to just to to visit it and you know to be around to troubleshoot or to strategize. I live only about a mile and a half from the hospital, so I ride my bike in. I can get there in ten minutes. Uh, you know, uh, head up the stairs, wander around, um, see what's going on, bother people, and see what they're up to, and then get back on my bike and head back home. Sounds like a good schedule. So now we'll switch a little bit um, to the personal. Who do you most admire and why? So I find it easiest to think of, um, uh, of, of, of mentors that I admire sort of in, the, in, the, um, in my own personal experience, I think, to, to answer this. And um, I've had the privilege of training fantastic scientists, both both of whom you know I, I admire tremendously, um, and and they are Jordan Pober, who I did my PhD with at Yale, and Michael Brenner, who I did my postdoc research with uh, here at the Brigham. Um, in in both cases, I think model scientists, people who have demonstrated. Um, uh, and, and a really unique combination of of scientific brilliance and insight in terms of how to think about how to think about interesting questions and design experiments to test them, um, but also at the same time a model of of generosity and um, uh, a deep sense of fairness in both of them in terms of how they interact with collaborators, how they interact with trainees. Uh, and I've tried, I've tried to learn and now emulate those those lessons. Uh, and so to, to both of them, I'm, th I'm thankful for having learned this part and, and you know, hope, hoping to be able to carry it on. Great. What motivates you to work hard, to keep going? Well, I think many of us are, are many of us are, are competitive. And so, and, and, and I am too. That's part, part of it. It's how we've always been. Um, but um, in addition to to wanting to do important work and be recognized for it, um, I think there's you know underlying that a, a curiosity about trying to understand some of these biological pathways that we've been thinking about for years and years. Um, we um, um, we. We have so many, we have so many questions that we don't understand um, in in medicine, in in caring for patients with autoimmune diseases. That um, there's just an unending, un an unending set of um, of uh, curiosities and quirks and mysteries about the patients that we see. Um, and so I, I think that you can you, you can you can always find yourself sort of you know puzzling about them. When you wake up in the morning, when you're taking a shower, when you're laying down at night, um, and these things sort of get you up to keep keep working on them the next day. Great. Do you have a favorite time management tool, something that helps you keep everything 
organized? I do not. I do not. I do not have a good time management strategy, uh, other than trying to um, limit the hours <laughs> during. Have a limited set of hours where I allow myself to look at um, CNN, the New York Times, and Twitter. And that should ideally it should be before 8 a.m. or after 8 p.m. Although I I fail in that you know many many times. Okay. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Somewhere you like to go to relax? North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. <clears throat> so my my wife is from. I grew up in Philadelphia, but my wife is from North Carolina, and her family has a a little beach cottage in South Carolina. Um, that when she was growing up was her favorite place in the world. And um, after after we started dating, um, and then once we got married, it became my favorite place in the world too. So we go there at least at least once a year. And and actually last year, um, although you know many 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 uh, challenging difficult things about the past year, um, last summer we drove down there and we spent six weeks down there, sort of hiding out. And um, I, you know, I think in some ways we'll look back at it as as really a glorious time for the family. Six weeks down at the beach. Sure, sounds beautiful. Do you have a favorite beverage or drink? It really, I guess, it really has become. It used to be a cold pale ale, and now it's migrated to a cold lager. As as uh, you know, my my favorite drink to know that I'm uh, um, uh, in my leisure time. Okay. Can you describe your hobbies? What things you like to do when you're not working? Sure. I um, so I I I play the guitar. I I, I actually um, I think not many people might guess this about me looking at me, but I I play in a um a grateful dead cover band every once in a while it used to be that we would get together about twice a year and we would perform in um uh, a dive bar in northern new jersey uh, we haven't done it for the past year and a half um but it was something i got roped into with uh, by my cousins who are a little older than me um and, and so th- this is this is i guess our primary hobby do you do you sing too, or just play guitar, or both? Do both. They they let me sing backup, so I, I they'll give me a microphone, um, but um, but not uh, not lead. Okay, we're going to switch now and talk about focus and your involvement with focus. How did you first get involved with focus? So I first got involved with focus uh, through my PhD mentor Jordan Pober. So um, he was he was uh, heavily involved in focus, and when I was a PhD student, he encouraged us to attend the meetings, and uh, I went to a, a couple of them during my PhD, um, and came to came to really appreciate and admire the leaders at the time: Jerry Nepalm, David Haffler, uh, Gary Fathman, and um, their perspective in terms of human immunology and, and studying disease in in people. And that carried through, and that really had a huge impact on on my early career and research directions. Okay, how has how has focus changed your world? 
I think that the um, one of the important uh, areas of influence for me um, in going to focus meetings has been uh, this, this really neat perspective of seeing um, people coming from different fields who are thinking about how to manipulate the immune system in opposite directions. So uh, in my PhD training, I worked on transplant rejection and was thinking about how to suppress undesired immune responses directed against transplants. And now as a rheumatologist, I study autoimmunity and we're thinking about how to suppress undesired immune responses against um, the self. Uh, but at the same time, when you go to the focus meeting, you hear these perspectives, as well as the opposite. Uh, folks thinking about how to induce immune responses against tumors, how to induce immune responses against chronic infections. Um, and many times we're thinking about the same molecules, the same pathways in the cell, cell the same cell types, but with totally opposite goals. Uh, and, and having a meeting that brings people approaching these similar questions, but from opposite directions, has been really informative. Um, it highlights different cell types, it highlights different pathways that maybe you hadn't thought about in the same way, um, hadn't quite gotten a foothold in your specific area yet, but, but um, brings that broader perspective. If colleagues asked you why they should join FOCUS, what would you tell them? Um, so I, I really encourage people to participate in FOCUS for, for exactly this reason, this idea that you see um, different perspectives of people looking to manipulate the immune system um, uh, in different directions you know, with, with different diseases in mind, but in the same place. Um, the, the group itself um, in having um, an, an honest focus on human disease and an emphasis on trying to understand immune responses that go on in patients um, is, is real and valuable and unique. And so for, for those of us who are thinking about, think about human translational immunology, focus has become a center point. It's a meeting that I go to every year and uh, encourage, encourage people to attend. That's great. Now we'll talk a little bit about your FCE. Um, tell us about the research that you're doing. Sure, so, so I'm the director of the FCE at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, the hospital is, um, uh, a major research center in Boston with a, a lot of interest in immunology in many different areas. So they're uh, represented amongst the group are uh, investigators who are interested in, in transplant and transplant rejection. Um, there's a large group that's interested in uh, immune disease as it affects the brain, including diseases like multiple sclerosis. Uh, there's a large allergy group that's interested in um, uh, the pathology that drives allergic responses. Um, and then um, the division that I work in is rheumatology, rheumatology, inflammation, immunology, with a number of investigators who are studying the pathologic immune responses that go on in different autoimmune diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, scleroderma. Um, so amongst the, the, the broader community, uh, there's really a, a wide range of perspectives in terms of the, the different types of, of disease that the immune system can cause and um, uh, sort of a, a, a wide range of complementary perspectives on how we can treat these diseases and, um, and potentially identify uh, novel biomarkers and, and new therapeutic approaches. 
Do you have a vision or a dream goal of your FCE, specific goals you want to reach as an FCE director? So one of the areas that I'm most enthusiastic about is the ability to to generate cellular biomarkers of, of autoimmune disease. So as we've been assessing patients that have autoimmune conditions like multiple sclerosis or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, we rely on a pretty limited set of tools to try and uh, identify, diagnose the disease and then measure immune activation in those diseases. Um, we, as immunologists, are developing you know, an increasingly sophisticated understanding of the cell types that drive these diseases. And what I would really like to see happen in the next couple of years is for us to develop um, tests that can measure the, the activation of different cell types in the blood that we know are relevant in these diseases and to turn them into biomarkers of disease. So for example, uh, we have a pretty clear assessment now of the T cell and B cell populations that are expanded in patients with lupus. Uh, they've come from many studies from many, many different groups, including ours. Uh, and what, what I would really like to see happen is for us to be able to do the hard work to turn some of these typical flow cytometry assessments that we use in the lab all the time into real clinically actionable biomarkers, tests that we can uh, that we can order, that we can generate on patients that we see in clinic, and then use that information to help us um, identify uh, how active is the immune response in this patient. The patient feels okay, but their immune system is really ramped up. I'm a little more worried about this patient. Or... Um, uh, the immune system looks pretty quiet. We're okay. We'll see the patient back in six months. Um, so I would really like to see us develop some of these um, real biologic biomarker tests out of the uh, insights that are coming, you know, from from immunology labs at the Brigham. Um, and you know, this takes a sort of translational effort to connect with clinicians, to connect with the uh, uh, pathology and um, uh, and lab medicine to develop the test in a collaborative way. But, but you know, I think we're ready for this. I'd really like to see this happen. Great. What are the challenges that you face in trying to reach those goals? Challenges, well, hum obstacles. Human immunology is hard, and it's, it's increasingly hard um, now with, uh, <clears throat> with, with COVID and social distancing and um, the challenges in terms of doing clinically oriented research, um, but uh, the, the 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 major barrier here is that um, we have to be able to navigate the complicated infrastructure of clinical medicine. We need to be able to um, identify find patients when they come to clinic, be able to enroll them in studies, collect samples, um, and, and and do this in ways where we can accumulate both clinical data as well as cellular immunology data and begin to put them together. Um, we have much less control than, than um, uh, when you compare this to experiments in mice where you can, you can define the time scale you know, as you want. Um, in vitro experiments, you can control when you're going to set up the experiments, when the, when the results are going to come in. Trying to do human translational work where we're interacting with patients it's much more complicated. It takes an infrastructure to be able to navigate it. You need research coordinators who are in the clinic or available to, to participate um, when the opportunity arises. 
that, that part that part is complicated and hard um but this is this is you know where i think the largest gains will come why did you apply to be an fce i've been impressed with the work that goes on in focus for many years and i think it's important for us to be able to participate in that um there are efforts across the across the country and across the world um, thinking about how how we may better evaluate immune disease in in patients with with uh, autoimmune inflammatory conditions, and um, uh, I'm enthusiastic about the idea that that our site at the Brigham can participate and contribute, and I think we'd lo- we'd like to be part of the conversation and part of the um, uh, effort to improve some of these uh, technologies or broadly. Those are all the questions I had. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or expand upon or go into some areas that I that I didn't ask about? I think I would just I would just reiterate that um, that focus really plays a unique role in in human immunology, and um, the uh, the focus meeting hits a sweet spot of being um, being able to bring together uh, world-class immunologists, really the, you know, um, most, many of the most prominent immunologists and, and um, leaders in the field uh, in a format that's approachable and comfortable and productive in a meeting that's a reasonable size where you can interact with the uh, uh, interact with other folks who are attending the meeting, um, meet people that you admire as well as um, uh, folks who might admire you, and um, and uh, think collaboratively about some of these important questions in human immunology. I think focus really plays an important, unique role, and uh, we're, we're um, grateful to be a part of it. That's great to hear. Anything else? No, I, I thank you for the opportunity. It's really been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. I'm going to stop recording now.